Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50% to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, to get 20, 20, 20, to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Truth and Movies. On the show this week, no bane, no gain. Tom Hardy sinks his teeth into his second comic book movie outing, but is Venom a spin-off too far? We're not finished. Yes, you are, Mr. Brock. Is that a threat? Have a nice life. We find a million reasons to praise Lady Gaga's performance in the Bradley Cooper-directed romantic musical A Star Is Born. Every single person has told me they like the way I sounded, but that they didn't like the way I look. And in Film Club, Evil has a new enemy in the critically derided 1997 superhero folly, Spawn. You sent me to hell, Jason. I'm here to return the favour. It's Truth and Movies, a Little White Lies podcast. Hello and welcome to Truth and Movies. I'm Adam Woodward, filling in for Michael Leader this week. And I'm delighted to be joined by Elena Lazic. Hello. Hello. And also Hannah Woodhead. Hello. Hi. Uh, you guys have just overheard you chatting about Toronto. You were both at the Toronto Film Festival recently. Yeah. What were your highlights? I don't know. I mean, most of the really great films I saw in Cannes and we were playing there again. Uh, <laughs> but I really loved The Sisters Brothers, which I know premiered in Venice, but I wasn't there. What about you, Anna? I kind of talked about this a, a little bit last week. But yeah, we were just chatting about The Sisters Brothers because of video games. And there was a great video game connection to this week with we are going to talk about Venom and I've just been spending like the past two weeks playing the new Spider-Man game. So you asked me about Toronto and I've managed to make it about (laughs) Spider-Man as always. All my conversations go this way these days. (laughs) Just if you play the new Spider-Man game, it's really good. (laughs) So The Sisters Brothers is the new film by Jacques Audiard, right? Mm -hmm. It's a sort of buddy western and it's got Riz Ahmed in it and he is in Venom this week Mm -hmm. as well which is a nice little tie. So Quite different roles, Yeah, I have to say. Of the two, I'd say The Sisters Brothers <laughs> is uh, probably the better movie. But right, I, well, I agree. <laughs> big fan as well myself. And yeah, stars Riz Ahmed, who is also in Venom this week. And I think he probably, I don't know, he doesn't really have a much better time of it in this film. <laughs> but anyway, we'll get on with our review of Venom, uh, but we're just going to play a clip from the film with Riz Ahmed, and Tom Hardy's journalist Eddie Brock in conversation. I've always believed uh-huh. that space exploration is crucial in our quest to cure everything that ails us here on Earth. So I have to ask, how does that work? You know, exactly the Life Foundation thing. How does it, how does it, uh, I don't know, how does it go about, say, testing pharmaceuticals? Eddie? We're talking about the rocket here? No, I'm not. I'm not. I'm talking about the allegations. It says that you recruit the most vulnerable of us to volunteer for tests mm. that more often than not end up killing people. Eddie. Of course, they never got to work out. Thank you very yeah. much. We're not finished. Yes, you are, Mr. Brock. 
Is that a threat? Have a nice life. That was Riz Ahmed's business magnate Carlton Drake there, sparring with Eddie Brock, who is played by Tom Hardy. This is Sony's second attempt to revive the, the Marvel <laughs> supervillain from their comic book series. I think first appeared in, in the mid-80s. Obviously, he was infamously uh, brought to life in 2007's trilogy closer, Spider-Man 3 by Sam Raimi. Care Unfair of, use of infamous there. I think it's, it's, <laughs> the film is maybe uh, unfairly derided, but I think his, that character and the way it's yeah. brought to life in that film yeah. is not great. But anyway, <laughs> they've, they've had another go at it here. And yeah, Tom Hardy plays a, a sort of video journalist, has a very funny uh, show called The Eddie Brock Report, and he's on, on the streets of San Francisco reporting <laughs> on seemingly whatever news he, he fancies. Um, and very, very convincing man. He's very, yeah, very convincing, <laughs> very seems earnest. Seems to care a lot about what he's saying. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and he basically clashes with Riz Ahmed's uh, Carton Drake, and that sort of unfolds in a, in a very, quite an unusual way. But <laughs> essentially, uh, it leads to him acquiring the powers of a symbiote, which is an alien organism. Elena, your thoughts on this one? It's very strange because at the same time, I think there's so much that's really good in this film. And not only, but mostly by comparison with other Marvel films that we've got. I think it's a very sincere film. There's nothing ironic in it, which is great, which is like, I'm kind of tired of all these like irony films where nothing is taken seriously and there are no stakes. But at the same time, like I've heard so many people comparing this film to Spider-Man 2, the Sam Raimi film, which is a masterpiece, the best (laughs) of all blockbusters, if you ask me. I think the, the comparison works on like a superficial level in the terms of the way the character becomes uh, this sort of superhero, even though the tagline is we have enough superheroes or whatever, but whatever. He has these powers, kind of similar the way Spider-Man gets his powers and stuff, and the stakes with the the relationship with the woman and all, the, all of that, saving the world, crazy scientists, quite similar. But at the same time, I think what's so good about Spider-Man too is it actually understands the stakes of everything that's involved and all everything fits into a puzzle like with great power comes great responsibility but also like so much more with uh, all the scientists that he has to save um, help uh, Dr. Octavius and stuff like that and it's everything is just so intense because Sam Raimi knows what he's doing and he knows what he's dealing with but in Venom I feel like you've got all these characters with quite similarly like high stakes that you can assign to them but the film doesn't really acknowledge them. Like, for example, if Tom Hardy becomes this really badass man thanks to this symbiote, but the symbiote is evil, you have to do something about that. You have to acknowledge that in some way and do something about it in the film. And I don't think the movie like really knows what to do with the fact that he looks badass while he's doing all these things, but also like he's very violent and he's not acting in a very wholesome way and I don't think the movie like really knows what to do with all this so it just feels like a whole a big mess that they've tried to really make into a semi-coherent narrative and so much has been lost in the editing. Anna how do you think Tom fares in this one? I think he's giving a kind of like full-bodied like he is into this role he's he's committed I was reading about there's a scene set in a restaurant where he climbs into a tank full of crayfish and um, he I was in this interview with him where he was like I'm getting in the tank I'm going to get in that tank like you can't (laughs) stop me getting in the tank so they had to like build this whole scene around him and it seems like maybe it kind of got away from Ruben Fleischer and it became the kind of Tom Hardy uh, experimental superhero show I think that's quite a good scene actually oh it's a great scene yeah Yeah, I, I mean full credit it totally works it's like one of the best scenes in the film but I like Elena was saying it's just kind of so jumbled and Mm. there's this huge leap it makes from in the beginning 
Venom's like, I am evil, I'm going to eat everyone's heads. And then <laughs> after about half an hour, he goes, I like this planet now. I yeah. will not eat all the people. And it's and like, there's no reason for that. Nothing happens that changes his mind. He just goes, oh, actually, no, I, I'm yeah. all right. I'm a good guy now, which doesn't... There's no character development in the film. It's one level for everyone yeah. throughout. It doesn't make you feel things, really. I no, I mean, I very much enjoyed... Tom Hardy's kind of like arguing with himself and kind yeah. of doing this like odd couple thing. Like it, it's a great rom com between mm. him and Venom. Yeah. But yeah, it's just weirdly plotless. Yeah. Like it's a thing happens and then a thing happens. That's I mean, it. I think it is worth pointing out that Tom Hardy, you don't actually see him in full Venom guise until almost an hour into this film. Yeah. And it's, it's just shy of two hours in total. And Tom Hardy sort of said, and this is perhaps in, in jest a little bit, but I read an interview where he basically said that the, his favourite 40 minutes of, of the film were actually cut. And it kind of makes you think, wow, what did they leave in that, that was, you know, better than that? But I, I think the, the main issue for me with this film was the kind of lack of story. Um, there is a lot of setup, a lot of character building without necessary development. Yep. And then suddenly this save the world narrative, which gets shoehorned in with about five minutes to go. Yeah. Um, there's also, I wanted to ask you guys your, your thoughts on a very bizarre moment I felt towards the end when they try and make the Venom character weirdly empathetic mm. and he basically explains how on his home planet he's a loser <laughs> yeah. I know oh my god it's so weird he just because he just he's slightly goes. less big than the other guy <laughs> out of nowhere he goes on my home planet I was kind of a loser too yeah. and it's like what <laughs> where I don't did know this why, come from I don't know why Venom is like funny so he's much like, he has always been funny in the comics right okay but but it, he's like not always funny from? in this film, so it's kind of strange. It's like sometimes he's funny, sometimes he's not funny. And so how does he understand like human kind of like sarcasm? Does he things? speak English? <laughs> how does he speak? I have so many questions and yeah. no answers for the questions. Yeah. And the whole premise itself, like with Riz Ahmed's character, we never find out like. I mean, it's like he wants to cure cancer, so he's going to go to space. Mm. But why? Why <laughs> any of this? Like, why? You have no understanding of why these characters are doing yeah. the things they're doing. Any of them. Mm. Apart from maybe Jenny Slate, who gets a really, like, again, that poor woman's career. Yes. Like, I love Jenny Slate. I think she's a wonderful actress and a wonderful person. And again, like, this movie just, like, wastes her completely. It feels like her character was originally just a part of the Michelle Williams character. Yeah. And they just decided to, like, split her into... To give even less stuff to each of them. Yeah. Yeah. What about Michelle Williams? Because she's obviously, oh. Oh. you know, she doesn't do these kinds of films very often. Mm-hmm. And she's, she's again said that she will use the money made from this to go and fund the next Kelly Reichardt movie. Very admirable. Which is very admirable. But yeah, what do you think of her performance in this? I think she's fine. I think the problem is there is no chemistry between her and Tom Hardy because I think Tom Hardy's just too weird. And I think in, in all of his scenes, he doesn't really let any other actors be with him like yeah. do their thing like there's the scene that we just heard with Riz Ahmed it's very strange because Riz Ahmed is like explaining all those things and throughout Tom Hardy's like mm-hmm, mm-hmm. like he's trying to steal the attention away from Riz Ahmed it's like this is Riz Ahmed's scene like let me do it well Hardy said that he based the character partly on Conor McGregor the UFC fighter and it does have that sense of attention seeking almost from what he's doing with this let's give it some scores uh, anticipation enjoyment and in retrospect Hannah I mean, it's like a two in anticipation. I think, I mean, I'm not alone in thinking this was going to be kind of be a hot, hot mess. And maybe a three for enjoyment, just because I didn't, it was not as bad as I thought it was going to be. But that's not really a mark of quality with this movie. I think my enjoyment has come from how bad it is rather than it actually being a decent (laughs) movie. And then it's like a two in retrospect. I mean, my favourite part is 
the mid credit scene, which I'd recommend people do stick around for just because so, it comes out of nowhere. But yeah, it's, it's not great. Mm. Uh, for me, anticipation, I would say free because I was kind of looking forward to it. I thought the trailer looked okay. But then there were all the articles and interviews of all the cast who were all like jumping away from the film, being like, I did it for money and Tom Hardy stole it from us and stuff like that. But uh, so I guess an enjoyment like two and retrospect two. But I mean, I sort of enjoyed, but I was sort of really disappointed as well. Yeah, I think I'd match those scores. I wonder whether there's just too many concessions and compromises made with this film because mm. in the US it's got a PG-13 rating which is a sort of family-friendly mm. rating over there. I think it's a 15 in the UK but mm. yeah. PG-13 I think straddles that line between like a 12 and a 15 but it feels like they've missed the trick because there is clearly a market there for well, like R-rated comedies, uh, yeah. superhero I movies they, with they Deadpool. They kind of said with... they wanted to include all the fans and it's... It's you know, very strange it, to want to do that with that film. Yeah, especially when he spends half the movie talking about biting people's heads off. Yeah. And then does do that quite a lot as well. Yeah, it's, but... You know, I would say a large part of Deadpool's fan base are not over the age that should be watching that movie. I think it's weird that you would try and make this film quote-unquote accessible to as many mm. people as possible when they're going to watch it anyway. Yeah. It's so like why we, make the compromise in the content? It's like they tried to make it Spider-Man or something. Yeah, I think Which is, the there's so many similarities, but actually if you think about the character two minutes, it's quite different from Spider-Man. It's kind of Very the opposite different. of Spider-Man. Yeah. <laughs> so. And that's another thing about the film, because like, in, in the comic books, uh, <laughs> without sounding like a huge nerd, the whole thing of Venom is he has this relationship with Peter Parker before he meets Eddie Brock. So... He looks like Spider-Man because he's the first kind of human he meets. Mm. And then in this film, Spider-Man doesn't appear to exist. So it's like, why, why does Venom look like Spider-Man, who doesn't exist in this universe? It's just, there's so much going on here. <laughs> well, director Ruben Fleischer is apparently making a film with Chris Evans of Marvel fame. A Jekyll movie, which is based on the BBC series from a few years ago, feels like this film is a kind of Jekyll and Hyde movie mm. taking place in uh, Hardy's uh, skin. But we'll move on from Venom, and next up is A Star is Born. I always knew, like, you were going to do something, that you'd be all right. It's the first time I'm worried about you. Can I ask you a personal question? Okay. Tell me something, girl. Do you write songs or anything? I don't sing my own songs. Why? I just don't feel comfortable. Why wouldn't you feel comfortable? Almost every single person has told me they liked the way I sounded, but that they didn't like the way I look. I think you're beautiful. This is A Star Is Born, which is Bradley Cooper's directorial debut, the fourth remake of the classic Hollywood musical. It is the story of a musician who helps a young singer and actress find fame, even though alcoholism is threatening to tear his own life apart. Hannah? I uh, have to say I wasn't expecting great things from this. You kind of hear the words Bradley Cooper, <laughs> star is born, and you go, oh, really? Can <laughs> um, I be surprised? I saw this at TIFF at nine in the morning, and I, uh, I really liked it. I dug it a lot. I think it's uh, a very heartfelt and sincere movie which is surprising considering this is what the fourth version of this story and he's managed to bring something new to it I think but I think full credit Lady Gaga is like what sells this movie for me I think she's absolutely amazing in it. Helena you weren't so hot on this film but what did you think of Lady Gaga? Oh I mean yeah she's amazing I think sometimes her acting is a bit like 
on the limit, like almost <laughs> almost not great. But you really don't care after a while because she sings so beautifully. Like one thing that I liked about this movie is the songs. I think the songs are great. The songs that they sing together that she writes mm. in the film. They are generally great and they're going to be great at karaoke if <laughs> someone can like do what she does, which no one will. That's why it's a good karaoke song. Yeah, the film opens with this amazing uh, sequence of Bradley Cooper performing live. Mm. And it is just an entire song or piece of the set that's just allowed to play out and I think in that moment after about three minutes I realised I loved the film <laughs> um, which is always a good thing so it's Bradley Cooper's directorial debut, he's obviously worked with some pretty good directors down the years, Clint Eastwood chief among them, David O. Russell, who do you think he's sort of drawn more influence from? I think it's weird because to me and this is a comparison other people have made it, it feels more like kind of crazy heart than anything I Eastwood maybe may, it's a little bit David O. Russell but I'm not a huge David O. Russell fan, and I think this is kind of less uh, overwrought than his, his films tend to be. I think it's more kind of... It's sadder in a lot of ways and not afraid to kind of be sad. The whole portrayal of alcoholism and addiction in this film is very... Uh, it's not glamorising it. It's just kind of saying this is a thing that happens. And I, I, I guess Clint was going to make this movie like in the... 90s? Yeah, there was a rumour that Clint, I think it was maybe in the mid-noughties, he oh. was going to make it with Beyonce. <laughs> I'm not sure who was in line to play the male lead, but um, in fact, I did see Probably a... Probably not himself. Yeah, oh. no, it wouldn't, wouldn't have been Clint, unfortunately. But yeah, I did see a funny tweet where someone had said if this film had been made in the 90s, who would have starred in it? Mm. Who do you think? Mel Gibson and Mandy Moore. Well, that's a good shot. <laughs> I think I said... Brendan Fraser and Brandy of Brandy and Monica fame. I would watch that movie. I would watch I that now movie. Now I'd probably yeah, that makes watch sense. <laughs> so we've said, yeah, this is the fourth remake. Obviously, you've got the 70s version with Barbara Streisand and Chris Christopherson, which is one of the hairiest films I think it's ever been made. <laughs> the Judy Garland, James Mason version from the 50s, which is the sort of classic that everyone really points to. But that itself was a remake of the Technicolor film from 1937. And George Cooker actually originally made a film called What Price Hollywood, which is a lot more directly about the, the pitfalls of fame, I suppose, in, in that industry. How do you think the music industry is reflected in this film? That's what's so strange about this movie that I thought I didn't like so much, is that it's at the same time it does portray the music industry as quite a bad influence and like they just want like bad pop songs and stuff which I'm like, pop songs can be good. Mm. It's true that I don't know if this character should be doing this, uh, whatever. But what bothers me is that at the same time, it does show the bad sides of fame, like addiction and stuff. It's very romantic. It doesn't romanticize it, but it's very like, you never see the really seedy sides of stuff. Like It just kind of happens because of who the characters are. It doesn't happen because of the industry. And I think that's a shame because it would be you would be more like immersed in that world if you really got a sense of how you might start like a nice person, like a nice girl who just works as a waitress and then you get into that industry and it really affects you in this very perverse way. And the movie's like the opposite of perverse. There's nothing perverse about the film. And I thought it would have been like nice if the movie went like even, you know, like just a bit harder on all that stuff. Yeah, I see what you mean. One of my favourite characters is, he's a bit of a villain in the film, but it's um, Lady Gaga plays a character called Ali who who finds fame just as that sort of single monarchy pseudonym. And uh, she gets an agent who's this British guy. God, he's so annoying. Very annoying, but seems very on point for like what a, a music yeah. A&R guy would, would be like. And there's, there's a great scene where they're backstage and Bradley Cooper and him are trying to strike up some small <laughs> talk. So good. And he just points out, he just asks uh, the agent why he's wearing 
wearing their no socks and the agent points out that he's wearing these feminine ankle socks <laughs> that, that are kind of hidden. I just think that was a very like well-observed moment. Yeah. But, I, but I agree I it like could have gone a bit... A yeah, it could have gone a bit deeper, though, and attacked the industry a little bit more. It's mm-hmm. kind of... This is the only real big issue I have with this film. I mean, in fact, it's a twofold issue. So the first part of this is that it's kind of talking down to pop music and being like, oh, yeah, it's not real music, though, is it? Like, real music is <laughs> it's these, It's better to sing with, like, a fake voice. Exactly. It's, you know, it's saying, like, oh, sing the country. stuff that she is producing as a pop singer is not as good as the stuff she's producing when she's making music with um, Bradley Cooper's character Jackson mm. Maine, which I think is maybe a comment on kind of like Lady Gaga's career because, I mean, she went from kind of doing all these like big, you know, pop songs and elaborate costumes to kind of like doing her album Joanna, which was a lot more like ballads and things. But as Elena says, pop music can be really good mm. and it feels very, it's a very almost misogynistic thing mm. to say that female pop artists are in some way like confined by the restraints of pop music it's just a weird thing to me and then this fascination at the moment in hollywood with female singers like at tiff there were five films directed by men about female pop stars which i think is very strange mm. like and they all kind of have this similar like these are vulnerable women who are kind of swallowed up by the industry arc. And who have like personal reasons to be to be doing this and not yeah. just because they want to be doing this. Yeah. I think this one maybe is the closest we get to kind of the character of Ali does have more yeah. agency. There's a great scene in, when she's having an argument with uh, Bradley Cooper in the bathroom and mm. she kind of is like, you think you've made me, but you haven't. Like I was always, this was always going to happen. You mm. just made it happen faster than it would have happened, which is just, you know, it's called A Star Is Born. She is <laughs> she is the titular star. Like, she's just kind of standing up for herself yeah. as an artist as well as, like, a character in this film. Mm. Which is, like, I thought that, that her character made more sense than his character. Mm. Like, there's some stuff that he does and that happens in film, I'm not going to spoil, that I just think, I'm like, oh, yeah, like that, that has a cool effect on me and the audience in the moment. But then I think about it, I'm like, I don't really get this. And I think it's quite amazing that Bradley Cooper plays this character who's, like, a sort of country singer, who's like very famous, got all these fans, but never watching the film I was like, well, really attractive, sexy man. I was just like, it's Bradley Cooper singing. <laughs> also, he does a, weird, a funny voice. Yeah. He does. He tries to do the Sam Elliott voice throughout the film, <laughs> except when he sings. Like, I don't know if you feel he that. normal. But when he sings, it's just Bradley Cooper with his normal voice singing. And I was just very just confused. Just mumbling the rest yeah. of the time. So you don't so- need to do a fake voice when you're not singing because no one listens to you when you're singing. Very strange. So yeah, Sam Elliott, who you mentioned there, he uh. he appears in this film alongside Cooper as his older brother and long-suffering tour manager. Mm. For me, they kind of had better chemistry than Gaga and Cooper. Yeah, they're so good as like a brother act in this. You know, mm. there's a really like heartbreaking scene where they're talking about their dad, and um, I think Sam Elliott right really like is the MVP here. Like yeah. he just is so good in kind of such a small role. When he's not around, you're kind of wondering. He's got the, the, his character feels like it's got this whole story going on, and we don't get to hear it. And it's you know, mm. if I had to put a bet on like best supporting actor, it would be him for sure. Like yeah. he's, just I think that's a really, really good show. I mean, it is a tragic character in it, and yeah, there is almost something even more sad about the fact that you don't get to see this guy's story properly unfold. Mm. He could easily have a whole movie kind of built around him. But and he's got more gravitas, I think, than Cooper. But I, I really do think that his scenes are great. But then the mo- the way the movie just cuts away from the scenes, it's like the movie doesn't realise 
mm. what is just done. And that's what really bothered me in the film. It's like, I feel like it rushes through the whole story. And I was just like, can you like slow down just one second so I can feel something in this scene? And mm-hmm. not just, it felt kind of harsh the way it would just move on story-wise. And that's what bothered me. I think, if anything, it does suffer from maybe having too many good characters mm. that you want to mm. latch onto and, and want to invest Absolutely. in. Um, maybe it doesn't give them all enough room to develop and breathe. But let's give it some scores. Um, Hannah, do you want to kick us off? Um, it was maybe like a th- three for me in anticipation, just because, yeah, I always get that trepidation when it's a big, successful Hollywood actor going, I'm going to be a director now. Uh, but then it's a four and a four. I'm excited to watch it again. Um, the music's great and... Lady Gaga's great. It's just, you know, it's a crowd pleaser if there ever was one. But yeah, I've had a good time. For me, I would say four anticipation and then three and three because I was quite annoyed at it because <laughs> I, I did feel like it was just Bradley Cooper created, oh, he didn't create, but like these characters are there and like stuff happens, but I never really could really connect to it. It's except during the songs, which are actually like, made me like shiver like it was so good but I really felt like it was just everything was happening in front of my eyes too quickly and I was just like oh I don't really feel this it's just kind of happening but I don't I can't reconnect Do you know what? I actually think the songs as good as they are in the moment I wouldn't rush out and buy the no, I buy think, the I record think if you're going to watch the movie I think try and avoid what, listening to the songs now and try mm. and listen to it when you're actually seeing the movie for the first time well I think I would match your scores Hannah and go three four four for this really really enjoyable as you say it is a crowd pleaser but there's a real kind of emotional punch to it as well so that was a star is born and up next is film club and spawn mom deserves the best and there's no better place to shop for mother's day than whole foods market they're your destination for unbeatable savings from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts start by saving 33 with prime on all body care and candles Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Who are you? What's the matter, Jason? You don't recognize your own handiwork. You left me to die in that biochemical plant. Remember? Shimmons! You sent me to hell, Jason! I'm here to return the favor! Spawn. We're going to do our best to try and explain, for those of you who haven't seen it, what this movie is about. But the basic plot is that an elite mercenary, played by Michael J. White, is killed 
but returns back from hell as a reluctant soldier of the devil. And that is as about as simple a kind of <laughs> overview that of that synopsis so as you badass. can get. Like that, yeah. that synopsis sounds like so much more badass than the film actually I didn't realise that's what the film was about. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so let's set the scene for Spawn, released in 1997. It's sort of ahead of its time in some ways. It's the first black superhero movie, predating Blade and, and obviously Black Panther. Hannah, tell us a bit more about this one. Where to begin? So the the yeah, I mean the original comic was pretty kind of groundbreaking. Uh, Todd McFarlane and uh, Neil Gaiman, I think, had a hand in writing it, and then we get this um, film version of it with the weirdest, like most nineties cast of uh, Michael J. White as Al Simmons slash Spawn, John, because <laughs> I can't even like. I'm remembering how bad it was in the film. Um, John Leguizamo is playing uh, the Violator, who's kind of this like weird blue Danny DeVito demon and then Martin Sheen is like the villain Jason Wynn and it's just god it's it's like the weirdest film it's the plot makes no sense the graphics are just mind-blowingly bad Mm -hmm. Um, every sequence is at the same level of intensity, which <laughs> creates this really numbing effect when you're watching the film. When it starts, you've got these incredible credits yeah, that are like a CGI computer animation 3D with the title Spawn coming through a sort of tunnel of, of <laughs> flames that are very like windows. It's incredible. I, re- I recommend watching just that. But then, so that's really funny when you start the film. You're like, oh, this is hilarious. But then the whole movie is like this. Yeah. And the, or the whole movie, everything the same intensity, always this sort of like, ta-da, music in the background. <laughs> so you just get really bored. And, and, it, and the movie doesn't guide you through all the beats of the story. It's just stuff happening after stuff happening after stuff happening. And you don't, nothing is more important than the rest. Nothing is more intense than the rest. Everything is the same intensity. And it's just very boring. So we've got some listener comments here, which I'll, I'll read out a few uh, for now. Steve Dennis, not a good film by any measure, but bold in a few ways at the time. Pre-Marvel, pre-Blade Black Superhero, as we said. The soundtrack is the soundtrack to my personal 1997 <laughs> too. Let's talk a little bit about the soundtrack. This was the golden age of like um, movie soundtracks. We had Batman Forever, like a year, two years before, which has like the most solid kind of soundtrack of all time um but then the, yeah the, the soundtrack for uh, spawn features marilyn manson's long hard road out of hell like twice <laughs> and then, like, whoever was the music supervisor on that like was like okay well i love this song so much i'm putting it in the movie twice <laughs> which is the most kind of 1997 thing ever yeah it's lots of sort of industrial metal and <laughs> yeah. kind of pre-new metal but very 97 I don't think it's travelled much to 2018. <laughs> mm. it's, yeah, it's weird how kind of specifically dated this film is. I think a lot of that does stem from the CGI. Mm. You may recall having seen the film that there is a character called Spaz in the film, which is the dog. Mm. Yeah. I looked into this because I just thought that's such a weird name for a dog. And it, <laughs> it turns out that Spaz is the sort of nickname of the guy who, who basically was the main computer effects artist on the film and right. he and Mark Dippy, the director had worked together at Industrial Light and Magic years before and remarkably those two guys actually were credited for the liquid metal Terminator oh in, James, in James Cameron's T2 and also actually physically built one of the T-Rexes in Jurassic Park. Oh my god! What? So their their background is like groundbreaking visual effects. This what is happened? their, this is, the, this, is their <laughs> this is their first shot at being like able to make oh. a proper studio superhero movie. What I feel like happened in this movie is it was just made twenty years early. 
you just couldn't make it with a CGI yeah. that was available at the time. That's the reason why Terminator and Terminator 2 work is because there is CGI, but only in very selected moments. They probably studied for months. Mm. This movie, this, the ending is just CGI with like Michael J. White's character <laughs> in a world that's really just a green screen that they put some weird CGI in it. And it just feels like they, they were very ambitious and didn't have the means. If you think about that scene and the beginning of, I think it's Thor Ragnarok, where it's this kind of like similar like hellfire, like a, a giant mm. demon thing. And I think that's what they were kind of trying to go for. And it works in Thor Ragnarok because it's 2017 and we've got the CGI. <laughs> Whereas in um, in Spawn, it looks like playing Diablo, like, yes. like the original Diablo. Like it's just really kind of like blocky and weird and... Those, you remember those like cheesy um, screensavers you'd have on like Windows ninety seven? Like that's what it looks like. Mm. It kind of like just it's all over the shop. Mm. Interestingly, Todd McFarlane, who you mentioned, is the original creator of Spawn. He's actually attached to direct a remake with Jamie Fox in the lead role. Wow! See, so, yeah, I'd watch that. Yeah, that sounds great. So you think maybe the CGI or what they were trying to do back then was not really attainable? Yeah. a bit more ambitious. But there are some bits where they just added some CGI that was not necessary. And they were like, this looks cool, and it doesn't. <laughs> so. I will say his costume, I think, is pretty cool like, yeah. in the film. And like the cape, it has this like CGI cape that's oh, like flowing in the wind. And that, he, I think, that is, is, amazing. Is, is really cool. Well, we've got a comment here from Mark Serby. He says, vastly underrated comic book adaptation. The dialogue and acting is a bit cheesy at times, but the look of the film and the CGI, brackets especially the cape, still holds up. So I think actually there are some scenes. I mean, you mentioned we mentioned the cape, and certainly when it's more focused on the character of Spawn, the practical effects in camera stuff and the mixture of CGI in there kind of works for that character. But it, it's all the backdrop stuff, isn't it? It's mm. all the surroundings. It's mostly that, yeah. The Violator, which is just this blue abomination. In fairness, I went and Googled the comic, and like that is how the character looks in the comics, but it just seemed so out of place yeah. with the rest of what was going on. I think the film's kind of going in two directions. It, it, there's like funny bits, but then everything else is so serious Very and, dramatic and dramatic. It's, it just doesn't kind of work yeah. together. I don't know why they tried to make the John Leguizamo character funny but in a gross way I was like this is not funny this is just he makes gross jokes, he makes like, like yeah I'm just like what am I watching yeah I don't like yeah, it yeah there's a there's a moment where he sort of farts twice in quick succession and then says twins yeah which is like <laughs> I, I don't even know if that's sort of teenage humour or yeah that's just something it's really he gross. said apparently yeah. there's, there's also a bit where he it's a really weird shot because it really lingers on this but <laughs> he picks up a, a slice of old pizza from a garbage can and it's covered in maggots and he takes a big bite out of it and apparently it was like actual mealworms that he there's dedication uh, yeah and, and he you, says, you can kind of tell oh gross I don't like mushrooms yeah <laughs> that's, that's funny. funny so big question do you think this is one of those so bad it's good films no I watch loads of bad films and I don't think this is one of the fun ones <laughs> I think it's too bad it's kind of depressing well, like, yeah. when I watched it the first time, I was like, oh, this looks fun and stupid. And then I kind of regretted it. I had to watch <laughs> something else afterwards too. What, what, would, what would be an example of a film that's too, so bad it's good? See, I thought Venom was, but that is just because I thought that Tom Hardy was mm. hilarious in that film. But it's not like bad enough, I think. Like for something, <laughs> something that's really bad, but genius is Ricochet which I've probably talked about already on this podcast. Uh, oh, we can never talk too much yeah, about Ricochet. Starring John Livgau and Denzel Washington. Mm. It's incredible. But there's also this movie, Virtuosity, also with uh, Denzel Washington and 
Russell Crowe, I think. <laughs> There's a lot of amazing CGI in that movie because uh, Russell Crowe plays this guy who's created on a computer. He's a computer composite of 193 serial killers. And what? then he comes into the real world and he creates mayhem. Okay, it's incredible. You need to see this film. All right, well, let's earmark that now for a future film club. Yeah, incredible. Virtuosity. I, I think my favourite bit of trivia that I've, that I've seen uh, related to Spawn is that Martin Sheen reportedly did this film because he'd always wanted to be in a comic book film. I love that. Which I cannot believe for a second. That was a different time. He said that in like 97 as well. It's like, (laughs) how many had there been? And he was watching them going, I want to do this, I want to do this. I think he'd maybe seen the the Tim Burton Batman movies or something. (laughs) I mean, there wasn't really a lot else around that time. He would have been good in one of those movies, I think. He would have been good. Superman. Lawrence Fishburne said a similar thing. He said he'd always wanted to be in a comic book movie, which is why he took Ant-Man and the Wasp. And he'd spent years like going to Marvel and being like, "I've got an idea! Like, I've got an idea for a film I can be in." And it's it's just very sweet oh. that these kind of big serious actors who could be doing like big serious projects are like, "No, I just want to be in a comic book movie." I think that's quite charming. Maybe he liked comic books. Maybe. <laughs> well, I think it was a very popular, you know, comic book at the time, and and actually was a film that they they thought was going to be a big success. And mm. it's it's a weird <laughs> one because it's obviously not particularly popular but people do seem to remember it i mean this we got a lot of comments from listeners on this one duncan baylor (laughs) finishes with what a terrible terrible film i saw it in the cinema and have regretted spending money on it ever since i can't begin to imagine you'll ever have something positive to say about it but duncan i'm glad we have not let you down there (laughs) 20 years of just like occasionally remembering he paid to see that film (laughs) yeah if if you haven't seen spawn and you're listening to this and you're thinking maybe i'll give it a whirl then I mean, all, all we can say is you have been warned. But yeah. You can um, watch some selected scenes with, yeah. if you want to check out the incredible CGI and wonder how he got away with that. <laughs> yeah. So that was Spawn, and that is Film Club. Next week, we're going to be looking at First Man, which is Damien Chazelle and Ryan Gosling's Neil Armstrong space drama. Mandy with Nicolas Cage going full Nicolas Cage. And also the right stuff for Film Club, which in my humble opinion, I think it's the best film about astronauts ever made. On October 14th, 1947, Captain Charles Yeager shattered the sound barrier, propelled man into the future, and the search began for a new breed of men, men who were fearless. You've heard about our project. Sounds dangerous. It's very dangerous. Count me in. Thank you guys for for joining us. So thank you, Hannah. Thank you. Thank you, Elena. Thank you. As ever, this has been a Seven Digital production. And don't forget, you can get in touch with us. Truth and Movies at tclondon.com is the email address. Eagle-eyed listeners may have spotted that we set up a Twitter page for Truth and Movies, which is just at Truth and Movies. And you can get in touch with us at The Wild Eyes as well. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. 
Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 